Hey everybody, this is Don Newman and this is Living a Life Worth Remembering. Uh, this is a show where we answer the question, how can you and I live a life that continues to live on even after our own lifetime has ended? And I'm really excited about today's episode because it's all about writing. It's all about writing a book, something I'm very, very passionate about. And if you've ever heard me share about one of the greatest ways that you can leave a lasting legacy, especially in print, is by writing a book. And so today's episode is all about don't just dream it, don't just dream it, write about it. And so as I share about this today, I'm going to share about five roadblocks that every writer has to overcome in writing their very first book. And so if you've ever thought about writing a book, if you've ever thought, man, maybe I'm supposed to write a book, I really want you to take a few moments today, take some time to listen to this episode, because I'm going to address some things that you may have already dealt with in following your dream to write a book. And so as we share about this today, I'm going to uh, share some things that you can do to overcome those roadblocks. And I'm also going to share what those roadblocks are and a couple of secrets that I've learned about writing a book. So let's just jump into it. I love telling stories, especially about authors that have gone through their own roadblocks and have gone through their own difficulties on their way to becoming successful. You might be surprised to find out how many authors have actually experienced their own difficulties on the way to becoming a published author. One of the stories I love to tell is about an author that his name is Theodore Geisel. Some of you already know where I'm going with this story because you're familiar with the, who Theodore Geisel is, but a lot of people aren't. Theodore Geisel was a cartoonist and an illustrationist that actually drew uh, for other authors and actually worked in the advertising field. And he was very successful what he did. Well, he had made a decision that he wanted to do his own book and he kind of stepped out and was chasing his own dream. And it, it didn't work out at first, but finally he wrote his very first book. He had gotten the idea to this book and the name of the book was, And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. He created that book and it had crazy illustrations in it and it had incredible rhymes and verses and he was very excited about it. Well, according to Theodore Geisel, he took that book to uh, between 20 and 40 different publishing companies that he knew because he had worked with a lot of these companies before and uh, all of them rejected it. And they told him things like, um, the illustrations are goofy. The rhymes make no sense. This is not marketable. Nobody will buy this. And so after the final rejection that he just finally gave up and wasn't going to pursue any more companies, he made the decision that he was actually going to go home and burn the manuscript that he had created. He was done. And as he was walking down Madison Avenue, he ran into a friend of his that he went to Dartmouth College with. And the friend actually had just started at a new publishing company and was actually involved in children's uh, books. And so he started talking to Theodore and said, well, look, we're doing some new things. We're doing some different things. Let's, let's take it up to our acquisitions editor and see what he has to say about it. And so Theodore Geisel took his manuscript, went into the building, and when he left out of there, he was leaving with publishing his very first book underneath the name Dr. Seuss. And who would have ever imagined that Dr. Seuss was that close to ending his dream? Who would have ever 
figured that one of the most successful authors that's really influenced children in reading, uh, probably more than any other author, was that close to burning his dream and stepping away from it. In fact, uh, Dr. Seuss or Theodore Geisel actually said, if he had been walking on the other side of Madison Avenue that day when he was headed home, he would have been in the dry cleaning business. He would have never been a published author. And so you might feel the same way that, man, I really feel called to write a book. I really feel like I'd like to write a book. Well, I want you to know that you're not alone at all. Uh, author Jeffrey uh, Epstein actually said that 81% of Americans actually believe they have a book in them and believe that they should publish it. That's 200 million Americans that believe that they have something uh, within that they should publish, that they should write. And the, the, the sad fact is of the 81% that believe that they should write a book, only 1% ever do that. Why is that number so large? Why is there such a large number of people that have that dream, but only so few do it? Well, I believe it's for two reasons. Number one, I believe it's because there's a lot of people that it's just kind of a pipe dream. It's something that maybe they thought about one time when they were in school and thought I'd love to do this, but they're not really serious about it. But what about the other group, the group that really is serious about it? I believe many of those are actually coming across these roadblocks that I'm going to share in just a moment, and they don't know how to get over them. They don't know how to get past them, and they basically just live with that dream never being fulfilled. And so my goal today is to share how you can overcome these roadblocks, to share what they are and how you can overcome them in hopes that maybe I'll encourage a few of you to not be outside that 1%. I'd like to see that 1% go higher because I truly believe that books can change lives. I believe a book can change one life and I believe it can change 10,000 lives and I can believe it can have an impact. And so let's just jump into what these roadblocks are. But before I actually do, I want to share a very important part of really overcoming the roadblocks. And that is any writer, before they begin to write, they need to establish this one word. They need to establish their why. They need to establish why they want to write a book. <clears throat> and for you, maybe you feel like I'm, I want to write a book, I've got an idea, there's something I want to share, but it's real important to clarify why you want to write a book. Let me share about two authors that are fairly famous, uh, that uh, impacted the world through their writing, and that what the why was behind their writing, especially for the books that they wrote. The first one, C.S. Lewis, who's very famous about the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, obviously, you've seen the movies if you're a follower of Lewis. You've read his books. He's so widely read and, and has had such an influence uh, in the Christian world with his writing. And C.S. Lewis, when he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, his why uh, was, was simply this. He wanted to write books that he would have loved to have read when he was younger. He wanted to fill a need that wasn't there when he was younger to write creative books that have fantasy, that have allegory, that really tell the, 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 the tale of Christianity in a way that entertains and engages children. And that was his why. And that why led him to write uh, some incredible books that went on to actually be made into movies. Another famous author that understood his why was Charles Dickens. Now, Charles Dickens is, is recognized as a, just 
a literary star, uh, somebody that his name is mentioned as an incredible writer. But one of his books that I really, really love is Oliver Twist. If you've ever read that book before, Oliver Twist really, really showcases what was going on with so many children in England during that time period where so many were not just poor, they were homeless. They were living on the streets. They had nowhere to live. And what happened during that time was a lot of the rich factory workers and people that owned industry would employ these children at meager wages and incredibly uh, hard hours, uh, really not paying them what they're worth, and use them almost as slave labor. And Charles Dickens said, I've got to give voice to the way that the rich are treating the poor. And that's why he wrote Oliver Twist. And the impact of Oliver Twist is it went on to actually influence a lot of people that wanted to make a difference. And so you saw the growth of many uh, pastors, churches, and people that just wanted to give in building orphanages, starting to provide for these children, saying it's not right that these children are treated this way. But again, both of these individuals determine why they wanted to write. And there's two reasons why you need to determine why you want to write that really will enable you to get through these roadblocks I'm going to talk about in a minute. The first one is the why always leads to the what. What do I write about? Well, you got to go back to the why. Why do you want to write? Why do you want to share something? Why do you want to tell this story? That clarifies what it is that you want to write. But here's the second reason. This is what's so important. You need to get your why because the why nots are going to show up soon. What are the why nots? Those are all those things that I believe came across many of those people that had that dream of, man, I think I want to write something. You know, I wonder if I can do this. And all of a sudden, here comes the why nots. Are you really qualified to do this? Is what you're going to write any good? Uh, all the reasons why not to write it. And if, in the end, if your why is not strong enough, the why nots will overcome you every time. And just like a roadblock keeps anybody from progressing down the road of where they want to travel, it'll keep you from progressing. So let's jump into the actual roadblocks that we want to overcome. The first one, and I hear this one a lot, is I don't feel like I have the time to write a book. This one is used a lot. Now, all of us that feel called to write, we all have this fantasy that we could live at the beach, be retired, and have endless, endless hours to be able to write a book. Let me just share with you, that does not exist. Uh, let me make a statement. Nobody has time to write a book. They have to make the time. If you were to look at many of the books that you love today or look at uh, classic books that maybe were written years ago, you're going to find that most of those people that wrote those books had full-time jobs, kids, families, and all kinds of things going on in their life. So how were they able to actually create that book? How were they able to write that book? Again, they had to make the time. And I get this excuse a lot because I coach pastors on writing uh, their book and writing their first book. And many times I'll hear a pastor say, you just don't understand. I'm so busy. I've got everything going on. I just don't have time. And I'll agree with them. I'll say, you, you don't have time, but can you make time? And if they'll take this challenge, I call it the five-minute challenge. I'll challenge them. 
to just spend five minutes, three days a week writing, and I can help them write a book. And uh, many times I'll get somebody who'll say, okay, I'll take your challenge. You can help me? Absolutely. I'll spend some time with them, shaping the direction of where they're going, help them understand their why so they can find their what, and give them some direction. And then I'll just challenge them. Hey, five minutes a day, three days a week, I just want you to go in and write. And they'll say, well, what do I write? Just write on different subjects that I'll give you that are part of what you want to write about. Today you might want to write, if it, let's say the book is on prayer, and today you want to write about uh, the history of prayer. Today you want to write about what Jesus taught on prayer. Whatever it may be, you're going to write for five minutes. And I'll check back with them and I'll ask them, how did the five-minute challenge go? How did it go this week? And sometimes I'll hear, well, I sat there for five minutes. I wrote a few words. I really, uh, I, I don't know that I actually wrote anything. Great, let's keep doing it. And almost every time within two weeks, I will hear from one of these pastors, it might happen the first week, it may happen the second week, but I'll ask them, how did it go the other day? And they'll say, well, it, it, I think it went pretty good. So you, uh, did you write for five minutes? Well, no, actually I wrote for an hour. You wrote for an hour? I thought we were only gonna write for uh, five minutes. Well, I, I, I didn't wanna stop. Yeah, but you told me you didn't have time. See, you need to realize something, and I realize this myself, Time will always be used as an excuse because obviously we feel like we don't have time, and especially when we look at our schedule. But you know what I've learned? We do have time for the things we want to do. And if you've determined, I want to write a book, and this is something that's never going to get away from you, it's something that's never going to move away from you, uh, you've got to make the time. And you will find out if you will begin to take those moments and start to write, you will begin to find out that the time begins to appear. You'll no longer watch the uh, rerun that you watch every night again and again and again that's just mindless because you can't wait to sit down and allow those words to come through you. So the first roadblock of time is overcome in two ways. Number one, is understand that you do have the time, you have to make that time. Just, just make, that own, make that realization true to yourself. The second way is by blocking out writing time. You can actually go on Google and you can Google how to write a book 15 minutes per day and you will find endless articles because it's true. If you were to spend 15 minutes a day, only four to five days a week, uh, writing or writing, 250 words, so you can do 15 minutes or 250 words. Anybody can do that. Within six months, you would have over 30,000 words, what would be a small book. So you could write a book in six months just by taking 15 minutes a day and starting to focus on your book. In fact, sometimes you'll find that you'll have to spend 15 minutes, you got nothing. And maybe you'll just think about what you're going to write about next time you sit down to write. But then there'll be other times you sit down and you will look up and it is 30, 45 minutes because it is just coming to you word after word. And so you've got to make that appointment and block out that time, but you can overcome that roadblock. The second roadblock, <clears throat> this one comes up a lot, is I don't feel like my stuff is worthy. I don't, I don't feel like it's any good. And obviously, there are people that have come up with book ideas that in the end, uh, they're just trying to throw something out there and, you know, and in, in the end, maybe as far as what people are looking for, uh, 
it may not be suitable for anybody to read. I've seen that before, and that does happen. But I've seen a whole lot more people that had something, but they're comparing themselves with others, and they're just feeling like what I have is not worthy. It's, 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 it's just not, it's, it, it, I don't know that it's any good. And they're stopping themselves from learning, is this something that would really meet a need? They're, they're, they're blocked. It, it becomes a roadblock. And I think about the people that have dealt with these roadblocks. Think about Theodore Geisel, uh, you know, earlier. He was on his way to burn his manuscript, but he made a decision after somebody, uh, a friend, approached him and said, let's try one more time. He tried one more time. Imagine if he would have listened to the people that said, your stuff is junk. You know, listen to this quote. I am afraid of failing at whatever story I'm writing. Uh, now, it might surprise you that that quote is from Stephen King, one of the most well-known novelists uh, that we've ever seen before. Uh, you know, the truth is, Everybody who writes deals with this because when it's on the inside of you, you don't deal with it as bad as when it's on the outside of you. When it's on the outside of you and you start to put it on paper and you start to look at it, you start to share it, here comes the self-doubt. Here comes the most critical voice, which is the voice within that'll come and tell you, yeah, your stuff's not that good. Nobody wants to read it. And especially if somebody tells you that, you know, you're going to believe them and, and that just confirms what you've been thinking. And so every writer deals with this. I'm actually convinced that the Apostle Paul, who was writing on a much huger stage, and I believe God was writing through him as he wrote the epistles that became the New Testament, uh, even the Apostle Paul had doubts after he wrote those epistles. Even after he wrote some of those things, I know that he probably dealt with things because Every writer deals with the thought, is this worthy? Is somebody going to like it? Is somebody going to want it? So I want to talk to you about what you can do to overcome that. The first thing that you can do is, is just understand that you're not alone. Understand that you're part of a group of people that deal with this. Almost like, hey, you're part of a company of people that all of us deal with this. All of us have doubts. All of us have fears. All of us have the uh, hope that, uh, man, this book's really going to do well, but will it? Okay, so know that. The second thing you can do is learn that no one writes a book that they are absolutely sure will become everyone's favorite. I can tell you there is nobody out there that sat down and said, I know absolutely this is going to be a bestseller. Everyone's going to love this. I, I can tell you stories of books that were self-published that you know, the author thought, well, maybe my kids might like it, or maybe my wife, or maybe my mom will buy a copy, that found out later that the book was desired by a lot of people. And so nobody's ever guaranteed of that when they set out to write a book. So the third thing you can do to help overcome this is go back to your why. Remember why you're writing it in the first place. You know, Charles Dickens, he had no guarantee that Oliver Twist was going to become a classic over the years. All he knew was, I've got to say something about the conditions that I'm seeing. Here's what I know, and, and this is what I want to share on this one too, is that uh, in the business of helping people decide to publish books, which is what I'm in, uh, 
I never talk anybody into doing this. I never convince anybody that they go home to their wife later and say, well, I've decided to write a book. I don't know why I decided to write a book. The man talked me into it. I never do that. But what I do do is this, is I help people that will never get away from it. They'll never get away from it. It's almost like they can put that dream to bed and it wakes up again. They can, they can hide it in the closet, but it appears again. It never, ever is going to go away. It'll always be there. And that's why I'm, one of the sayings that I have that really, I think, kind of hones in on this one is this. I would much rather deal with disappointment than I would regret. And the reason why is disappointment fades. Oh, it didn't work out. Well, it didn't sell as much as I wanted to. Well, I was hoping it would sell more, but you know, it didn't. Uh, regret doesn't fade. Regret has a way of sticking around and reminding you, you never did it, you never did it, you never did it, you never did it. So when I step up to write a book, I ask myself, the books that I write, you know, I focus on writing uh, books that are inspirational, books that are encouraging. I write about God. I write about what I believe the Lord wants me to share with other people. So at the end of the day, I look at what God's calling me to write and I go, is it worthy? Yes, it's worthy because it's something He has done in my life and I'm going to share it with others. And you may need to look at what your why is and look at what it is you feel like you're supposed to share and ask yourself, is this worth sharing even if it only touches one person? What if it impacts a person in your family? What if your grandkids are inspired one day to do great things simply because you wrote? I love the story Michael Waltrip tells. Uh, he wrote a book after uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. died in the Daytona 500. Uh, he was the winning driver and was part of Dale Sr.'s racing team. And I mean, just several cars behind him, Dale Sr. had this crash and died. And here's Michael Waltrip crossing the finish line, winning the Daytona 500. I mean, you talk about excitement and grief at the same time. He went on to write this book about the terrible path his life, the journey that his life went on. Uh, he experienced all kinds of things. He, he, his marriage actually broke up. There was a lot of uh, just difficulty that he went through. And somebody asked him, they said, Michael, do you think your book, you sharing what you came through and how God helped you, do you think it's going to help somebody else? Do you think somebody this that reads this book is going to be helped by this? And Michael made this statement. I don't know if it's going to help anybody else, but it helped me. I mean, you know, sometimes it comes down to you just need to write the book for you. You just need to write it for you and just allow it to go out and see what's going to happen. Because in the world, you're going to feel like, is this worthy? Is this something people are going to desire? And you've got to find a way to overcome that or your dream is going to be haunting you for the rest of your life. So make that decision to overcome that. The third thing is I don't feel like, I don't feel like my book is unique. I don't feel like the idea I have is unique. Aren't there already too many books on the same subject on the market? Uh, simply put, let's say you wanted to write a book on getting out of debt. And immediately you look out there on the bookshelf and there's Dave Ramsey and everybody else has written on the same thing. And immediately you're going to say, well, why should I write a book? These guys have already written books and 
I'm nowhere near the level that these guys are, and there's already so many books on this subject. Why would I include my book on this subject as well? And you think about, when you look at all of the books, you can go out there and find there's books on prayer, there's books on finances, there's books on marriage, there's books on how to fix a car. I mean, there's all kinds of different books. You're going to find that pretty much almost every subject that is available has already been written on at some time or another. Uh, you know, just I mentioned prayer. You can look up hundreds, if not thousands, of books that focus on prayer. Uh, but with all of those books being about the same subject, uh, you know, you can feel like, man, how's my book going to stand out? I want to tell you, books are like snowflakes. From a distance, they all look alike. But when you get a microscope and you look really close, they're not alike. They're unique. And your book will be unique from any other book. And I'll tell you why I know that. <clears throat> if you look on your bookshelf at home and you were to take down any books that you have read that where you've underlined something, if you've dog-eared it, or you've circled it, if you've marked it up in any way. If you look at what you marked up in that book, if you looked at the statement that you underlined, the thing that really impacted you on any book that you have, if it's not a quote, if it's not a scripture, if it's not a historical reference, uh, you're going to find that that statement that really hit you, that you circled, is not found in any other book in the world. And I can tell you there's a book by John Ortberg that's called Soul Keeping. It's one of my favorite books. And on page 20, I can tell you the page number. On page 20, he is telling the conversation between him and Dallas Willard. And it's right before John Ortberg was going into a busy season of ministry. And John asked Dallas Willard, hey, give me some tips. He, he's got his pen and pencil out and he's like, hey, give me some tips. I am ready to hear everything that you want to share. And uh, Dallas Willard, in his normal style, if you knew who Dallas was, kind of leaned back or took his time and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And Dallas went, wow. Oh, wow, that's a good one. What else? And Dallas kind of paused and said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of your spiritual life. You know, that's circled in that book, that's underlined in that book, and you want to know why? Because I was going through a season where I was in a hurry. I was going through a season in my life where everything was rushing me and pushing me, and I felt like I was losing my breath. But on that day when I read that statement on page 20, and I circled that statement right there, that statement that's not found in any other book unless it's in Dallas Willard's book or in another book by John Ortberg, it's not found anywhere else. It sent a message to my life that actually helped me in a time of need. Now, the rest of the book's incredible. In fact, I, I encourage you to read that book. But I can't tell you anything else about that book. And you know what it tells me? You know what that tells me? That tells me it's not so much about reading the right book. It's more about reading the right statement on the right page in the right book at the right time. What do you have in your book? What will you have in your book that won't be in any other book? Will there be a story about how you overcame uh, an addiction? Will there be a story about a, a grandparent or a parent that lived a godly life and influenced your life? Will there be an account where you felt like you lost everything and you're ready to give up? Will there be something in there that's different? I can almost guarantee you that. Uh, another reason to not worry about is my book like any other book that's out there 
you know, let's say you're writing a book on prayer and you look out there and you see all these books, E.M. Bounds on prayer, uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon on prayer. Do you know how many people that live near you that are in your family that maybe you go to your church, live in your neighborhood, and again, I'm just trying to talk about your sphere of influence, are never going to buy an E.M. Bounds book. They're never going to buy a Charles Spurgeon book. They're never going to buy any of these other books that you think you're competing against, uh, but they'll buy your book. See, the thing you're competing against is not all the books that are out there on the market. The thing you're competing against is the voice in your head telling you that your book won't stand out. So what you need to do is make a decision that, you know what, I am going to put it out there and somewhere, somehow, there's going to be a tribe, there's going to be a group that this is going to resonate with. I can tell you I am so glad that John Ortberg wrote that book. Because on that day, on page 20, when I read that statement, it resounded with me and it still is resounding with me now, years later. And so that's a roadblock that you can overcome. Can you imagine if Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, looked around and said, there's all kinds of books on how to find your purpose, how to discover your giftings, how to uh, get involved in church. Mine's just another one. Why do I want to throw it out there? Can you imagine the impact and influence that book has had with so many people that have found their God-given purpose would have never found it if Rick would have looked out there. But he wasn't looking out there. He was looking in his heart and he was saying, this is something I'm supposed to write about. And so I want to encourage you to believe that too. So here's some things you can do. First off, just think about everything I've shared about a book being different and, and, and the statements in a book. Remember those statements. That'll help and encourage you not to be blocked from your dream because there's a thousand books on the same subject. But here are some practical things you can do. Look for ways to make your book unique by telling stories. You know, facts and figures are forgotten, but stories are remembered and retold. And what I shared with you a minute ago was a story that Dallas Willard and, and John Ortberg shared about Dallas Willard. Share stories. If, you know, if you're writing fiction, that's a different genre where you have to find unique ways to build the characters, make them very strong. But if you're sharing something uh, from building a car to uh, how to get through a tough marriage, share stories because stories are remembered and retold and they'll help your book stand out. Work on things like a unique uh, title for the book. Don't be married to your title. You may have a title in your head now. I can almost promise you, as good as it is, it'll eventually change. Don't be married to it. But work on creating a unique title, a great cover design, a great engaging back cover. That's the back of the book where there's uh, information about what the book is about and the author. Even the table of contents. All of these things can make your book uh, unique. And lastly, just learn the power of marketing and pre-marketing and things that can really make your book stand out. You know, uh, there's a lot of great books out there that, uh, that got lost in the shuffle of all the books that are available that never sold because, simply because they never found the market. They never found the people that were looking for that. So I want to encourage you to uh, don't let that keep you from stepping out. Take some of these steps and begin to, to step out and do what you feel called to do. The fourth roadblock, and this is a unique one, is this, I am afraid my, bur my, sorry, I'm afraid my book will not be perfect. Uh, I can't tell you how many people get blocked from ever doing anything because they are, they, are, they are stuck in perfection. 
And there are so many authors that uh, I've worked with over the years that never could release a book because they couldn't quit editing the book. Uh, by the time they got it edited, there was something new they saw. Well, uh, I need to make those changes. And the changes continually just keep happening because I want to make it perfect. I want to make it perfect. Let me help you uh, right there if that's something you're dealing with. You will never write the perfect book. Uh, I truly believe there's only one perfect book, and I believe that's the Bible. <laughs> I believe outside of the Bible, every other book uh, has flaws in it, has things that, oh, I wish I would have done different. In fact, I've heard John Maxwell say, as he looks back over his career, which I would love to have John Maxwell's writing career, as he looks back over that career, he says, there's so many books I wish I could go back and change. Oh man, if I just would have seen that. Oh, I should have went deeper in here. You know, I should have shared this. There's always going to be something that you wish that you would have done. But the problem with perfection is, is that perfection can lead to pro uh, procrastination. Perfection can lead to procrastination to where we just literally will never step forward because we're just convinced, okay, we'll, we'll do it one day when it's perfect. I've had people that felt called to write on things like church planting, but they said, you know, I'm not an expert. When I become an expert and I've planted all of these churches and I've been successful and I'm 75 years old, then I'll write the book. Why? Because it'll be perfect because I've done it. And, and I'll share with them, but what about all the people that are going to die between now and then that need to read what you know now? What about those people? Those people need to hear from you now while you're learning it. In fact, many of the best books out there are not written years later when everybody has done everything and learned exactly how to do it. Most of the best books are written by people that have accomplished something, but they're still in the process of moving forward in that journey. And so if you look and go, I'm not, I don't have everything together. I don't have everything where it's at. Yes, it may not be exact, the exact time you're to start your book, but don't let perfection paralyze you and keep you from moving forward. And so a couple of things you can do. Number one, I truly believe that you can pray to God to help you to overcome that. That's what I did. Uh, I felt like uh, my first book, I felt like, oh man, I kept looking at it and there were things I didn't like about it. And I just said to myself, I've got people helping me. I'm getting editing. I, I've got help with people that are looking at the book, but man, I've, I've got to let this go. I've, I've, I've got to do my best, but I've got to release it. And so one of the things I did is I prayed and I asked for help from God because I realized that this desire for perfection was actually going to keep me from obedience, which my obedience at that time was to write and release that book. Two more things that you can do to help overcome perfection is obviously get editing Make sure you proofread it, uh, but stop changing things. Realize next year you would write something different and the following year you would write something different and the following year you would add something to it. Get the proofread, get the editing, make it as best as possible, but let it go. And then the last thing to help you overcome this roadblock is realize that this is not about the book, but it's about the statements in the book. You know, I shared earlier about the John Ortberg story with Dallas Willard. And, you know, I truly, truly believe that those statements, the ones that we circle and highlight, I like to call those the stars of the show. Imagine going to a Broadway musical and there's the star 
that's coming out and singing this incredible song, and that's what you remember. And there's all these other people in the background. I call those the supporting cast. Well, a book is made up of a lot of supporting cast, a lot of filler, and it can be good filler. I mean, it's not mindless. It's it's all has a point to it. But that statement where you go, wow, and you want to dog ear it and you want to underline it, that's the star of the show. Don't let bad supporting uh, uh, cast keep your stars from shining. Uh, know that it's about the statements, it's about the stories, it's about the things you want to tell. And there will be things that are not perfect that surround those things. But those things will resonate with your audience. The last roadblock that comes up with a lot of people is this one. I'm not a great writer. I have said to so many people, man, you should write a book about it, but I'm not a writer. And the statement that I read to them all the time is this, you don't have to be a great writer to be a great author. See, in order to have a great book, you got to have somebody that sees it or lives it, and you got to have somebody that writes it. Now, sometimes that's the same person. There's a lot of authors out there I could name that, man, they have saw it, taught it, lived it, and they wrote it. But there's a lot of people out there that I could name that they didn't write it. They lived it. They saw it. They heard it. They, they wanted to share it, but they weren't the actual writer of it. In fact, a lot of your public speakers, and I'm one of those people, they have to work with editors because we tend to write like we speak, which brings a lot of redundancies and a lot of things that cause problems when somebody's trying to read what we're trying to say. So even people that speak have to have somebody that works with them to move it into a written format so it's readable, so that what you want to say will go to the heart of the person uh, reading it. I don't know if you've ever heard of Corey Ten Boom, but she's so no well known for several books, but one of my favorites is The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place is all about as a, a, a Dutch resistor to the Nazi movement she and her family and different people actually would hide Jews uh, so that they would not go to the concentration camps. They were eventually caught, and I mean, there's a whole miracle story of how they were moved to a camp, but she survived and all of those things. Well, what's interesting is that Corey Ten Boom did not write the book herself. Uh, a couple that uh, she knew actually encouraged her. We got to tell this story. We got to share this story. So they worked with Corey Ten to actually write The Hiding Place, but it was her story. It was her memory. It was all the accounts that she learned. And she may not have been the writer, the skilled writer that brought it together, but you know what? I'm so glad that she's the author, the creator of that story and of that book. And you look and you can see that there's a lot of people, uh, if I was to take you into the bookstore and show you books and say, yep, that book right there was not written by the author. Well, who was it written by? A ghost writer, an editor, a writer that was skilled in actually getting the material from the author and putting it into a written format. I know there's a lot of people that think all books have got to be written by the person that is the creator of the content. But that's just not true. If we were to remove all those books that weren't actually written by the person that had the content, uh, the bookstores would be half empty, if not even less than that. So what can you do to overcome, I am not a great writer? The first thing you can do is something I did, and that's grow. Grow as a writer. I was not a skilled writer when I first wrote my first book. I worked with a ghost writer. 
And But I learned things as I wrote with the ghostwriter going back and forth. I'd send him stuff. He'd send me stuff back. I'd send it back. Then he'd send it back to me. It's my content. It's my stories. But I learned how to write and be concise in my writing. And I took the time to learn some more things because I, I want to get better at writing. The second thing you can do is what I've shared all the way through this uh, last roadblock is work with a ghostwriter. You know, you may find a ghostwriter that, that you, lives close by or, or somebody that really will take the time to interview you, work with you, and help you shape the message that you are seeing or the, the, what you've lived through or what you've experienced, help you shape that into a story. And so take all of these different roadblocks I've gone through, five of them. Now, there's more roadblocks that you could come up against uh, when it comes to becoming an author. But these are the top five that I hear every single time when I work uh, with a particular author. And so as you take and look at these particular things, I want to encourage you. Uh, don't, don't let your book dream die because of roadblocks. Instead, find the ways to overcome those roadblocks. And just know that every one of us that are part of that 1% that became authors, we had to overcome the same roadblocks the same things that came against us. And if we can do it, you can do it. So I want to encourage you to step out. If you ever want to reach out to me, I want you to know that now uh, Living a Life Worth Remembering is on iTunes now. And so you can actually go on iTunes and subscribe. If you like to listen in the car on the way driving to work or coming back to work, I know uh, some of you like watching on YouTube and, and I record this so you can watch on YouTube. But there's a lot of people like to listen while they're driving back and forth to work. And so I want to encourage you to subscribe to uh, iTunes, Living a Life Worth Remembering. You can catch the past episodes that are already recorded and share this with other people, especially today. If you know of somebody that's been wanting to write a book, share this with them and tell them to take, you know, 30 minutes or so and listen how they can overcome some of these roadblocks. But I look so forward to us talking again. I'm actually going to be sharing more on writing in the future. I love this subject. And so you can look for future episodes. That's all about keys to writing a great book. Would you like to know how to write a page turner? What some of the keys are? Well, I'll give you some of those keys and share those things with you. But until we talk again and until you uh, tune in again, I'm just here to tell you that I am praying that the ripples you create today will become the waves of the future. And I look so forward to talking to you again on living a life worth remembering. Have a great day.